Welcome back to the second episode of Wave the Wheat. I am Jackson Reed, and I'm joined by a very special guest. The let's just be honest. He's the he's the guy that's got your dream job. If you're a fan of KU athletics, a fan of KU basketball, KU football, it's Brian Haney. Brian Haney, how are we doing? I'm doing well, Jackson. Thanks a lot for having me on. Appreciate the intro. It was uh, certainly a dream come true in 2016 when I got to uh, climb into this post and and try to fill the very large shoes of Bob. that have come before me and uh yeah i recognize what a tremendous opportunity it is and with great blessing comes great responsibility too to do a lot of good stuff through this position so hopefully we've done that in the first five plus years and we'd love to talk to you more about it today right so you joined uh you joined ku athletics um five years ago correct 2016 you said yeah and you are a you are a ku graduate so i my very first question is What's the, what's been the biggest difference around campus since you've graduated to now? Wow, great question. I mean, on campus, it's just everything that's popped up in terms of the buildings and adding the DeBruce Center with the original rules of basketball, looking at the athletic campus landscape, which extends off of campus out to Rock Chalk Park. I mean, the facilities are so vastly different. Jackson, when I was your age, I used to live in Oliver Hall, which is now no longer, you know, serving students. And I would walk 30 seconds across the parking lot to sit in basically a treehouse to do the public address announcing for KU softball at Jayhawk Field. And then we had a Rocha Ball Park, and now they have Rock Chalk Park. And it's just unreal how much better the facilities have gotten in 20 years' time, how much more of an emphasis is placed on that. Of course, as you know, in recruiting, whether it's football, basketball, or any smaller non-revenue sport, it's an arms race into who has the best, the brightest, the newest, the biggest facilities. And so to see how much has changed in 20 years in amping up our facilities in The field house is built solid enough that it can exist for another 50 years, and a historical landmark like that never has to come down. It just gets added to and, and supported all the more. But while it has been improved, uh, just about everything else has been rebuilt or added to or changed in that time, with obviously improvements on the way for football, too. So certainly uh, excited about what it looks like 20 years later, and, and know with Travis Goff's leadership as our athletic director, uh, those strides are only going to be made more and more, and, and we're going to continue to compete with some of the greatest facilities and resources to offer our student-athletes of any Big 12 conference program out there. I think I totally – I know exactly what you're saying, but I feel like well, – especially when you're talking about renovating the field house, I think you can't, you can't build a new one. It's just one of those things where, like, that's got to be there forever, even if they're not playing basketball in it. Like, that's just got to – that's got to be there forever. And I know that you – coming out of, um, out of KU, you worked for 1320 KLWN, right? Yep. Ten years with them. Yeah. Started Rock Chalk Sports Talk, which is still going to this day. And uh, some of my most fond memories of my entire career happened there at 3125 West 6th Street here in Lawrence. So what, what, what is it about Lawrence that just, that just keeps you coming back? Is there a certain thing, the people? Like, what is it about coming back to Lawrence? Because it seems like Lawrence always has a, has a way to bring you back in here. Well, yeah, I mean, with me, obviously, this is home and, and this is where I want to be. The tradition, the fans, the unbelievable opportunity to, to be the, the mouthpiece for such a tradition-rich one. 
side, the, the campus, the university itself is phenomenal to be associated with working with Chancellor Doug Gerard. But then add in all that comes with being there courtside on game day at Allen Fieldhouse. There's no other place like it. Jackson, I've been really blessed to, to go to Michigan State, UCLA, Kentucky, Duke, Carolina, Indiana. I've been to all these places and there truly is no place like Allen Fieldhouse. I don't know I'm biased and we all look at it through crimson and blue shaded glasses, but having been to Poly Pavilion and Assembly Hall and the Dean Dome and Cameron Indoor and Rupp Arena and, and all these places I just listed off, I'm telling you, it's it's in a category all of its own. And to get a chance to, to get to know a guy like Warren Corman, who's 95 years old now, the last living original architect, to hear the stories of how the Fieldhouse came together, to hear, you know, what has happened over the course of now, let's see, let's do the math here, 1955 to 2021. I mean, we're talking about, what is that, 66 years of Allen Fieldhouse. And the building, it just has an aura about it. The acoustics, the way it feels like the crowd is raining down on top of you when they really get rocking and rolling and roaring. It's, it's unlike any place I've ever been. And obviously the tradition makes it special and it's the people inside the building that make it special. But when you have a chance to call games there uh, 16 times a year, it, it builds up a uh, addiction to Kansas basketball and to this place, 1651 Naismith Drive. There's two addresses I've quoted for you. That's all. The all NBA action, and I've I've had some of those talks in recent years. It's uh, it's it's really when your heart is here and you have a chance to call a perennial national title contender every single season, a team that's competing for conference championships, almost expecting to win them every single season, and you're doing it with people you love in the place you love in a building like none other. I don't know why anybody would ever want to leave that. And so um, that's what keeps me coming back. That and, as you know, Jackson, I, I run a pediatric cancer organization, the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic, that for 13 years now has raised almost $800,000 for local families fighting cancer. It's all KU basketball-based. And, you know, it's it's similar things that bring some of those players back each and every summer to be a part of that event, first and foremost, to support the pediatric cancer patients. But secondarily, the chance to come back to that allure of home and the field house and coach self and the traditions and the fans and the way you feel as a member of the Kansas basketball family, it truly is unlike anything else I've ever experienced. And so for all those reasons, I'm, I'm so blessed to be here and count my blessings every day. Shea Zanger is the guy that hired me. And, and he told me, he said, never forget how special it is to get to pull on the Naismith Drive and, and, and park at Allen Fieldhouse and go to work in the most hallowed ground in all of college basketball, maybe in all of college sports. Uh, and, and so long as you don't ever take that for granted, you know, you'll do a great job. And that's some of the best advice he ever gave me. And I, I honestly think about that every day when I drive to work and I, and I get to park there and walk through those halls of Allen Fieldhouse. I think what um, Jay, I think Jay Billis really said it best when he was like, this is, the St. Andrews of college basketball. Cause it's yeah. like, it's so respected and it's such hollowed ground. Like it's like, it's never going to go away. And like I said, even if they're not playing there anymore, that building is still going to be there. Naismith drive where it like loops around and it goes through the field, through the field house, but by the field house, like again, I've went to late night in the fog. That was my one experience. Cause again, I'm not from Kansas. So I had never been there and, but I've always, you know, you've heard of it, you see it on TV and all that. But you talked about traveling, and I had a couple of just travel questions. So when you are traveling, I need I need the worst the worst place you've been, 
in the best place you've been. Either if it's every year or just a one-time thing. I'm just you don't have to throw anybody under the bus. I was just I'm just a little curious. <laughs> That's so funny. You know, when you work in college athletics and it's your livelihood and, and some of your greatest relationships are in college athletics, um, you don't tend to throw your, your fellow athletic administrators under the bus with their places. So I'll tell you, as somebody that has also been to every single Major League Baseball stadium, because my father, my, we did this father-son quest thing over the course of 15 years, going to a game at Tropicana Field where the Rays play uh, was was absolutely the worst of, of the 30 Major League really? stadiums that I've been to. And more people, of course, now they're, now they're you know, a, a perennial contender. But back then they were awful. And more people... Sh- for a post-game concert with Flo Rida, where you could just buy a $10 eighth-inning ticket and stay for the show, then we're actually there to watch the baseball. And it was just, I don't know, it, it was not the feel of a ballpark. So that's the worst sporting arena I've been to, although I know there's there's plans to make it better. Best I've ever been to outside Allen Fieldhouse? Man, that's a great question. Um, man, I, I honestly... Uh, I'm now, my next kick is going to SEC football stadiums. Uh, Now that I've done all the Major League Baseball venues, and it's hard because we don't schedule a lot of SEC opponents, but uh, every other year in in bye weeks, I I usually try to go, you know, and so I've been to Alabama. I've never been to LSU yet. That's high on the list. Um, Man, that's a great question. I don't know if I want to give Roll Tide the love. I'll, I'll tell you this much. When I was your age, um, I got to do sidelines at Memorial Stadium in Lincoln, Nebraska, where the Huskers play. And I know their, their tradition uh, has taken a hit or two in recent years, but it's still true that when they fill that place on Saturdays, it becomes the third largest population in the entire state. And it's like a religion up there. And I remember standing on the field when the Huskers came running out the tunnel. And keep in mind, this was back in their heyday. Uh, and, and it was just roaring. And I literally felt the ground shake underneath me because the way the fans were stomping on the bleachers and that whole place was just moving. I hear Kyle field is the same way. It's Texas A&M never had a chance to do a game there, but those, those are some of the places that come to mind. There's no basketball arena that I would even put close. I guess maybe my best fan experience in an arena other than Allen Fieldhouse would be getting to see Michael Jordan at the old uh, Chicago arena back in the day, yeah, not, not United Stadium. center, but, but I'm talking like 1991 Chicago when I was Stadium. 10 years old. Absolutely. I totally understand that. I a game in the second row, sitting next to Tex Winter's wife. It's a long story. I won't get into it here, but my mother was a nurse in Topeka, and, and she took care of Tex's best friend. And as a thank you, he flew us up to the game. And afterwards, he gave me a signed media guide by every member wow. of that first Bulls championship team of the Bulls dynasty. And so in terms of, like, arena experiences that's probably number one outside allen Fieldhouse, and, and maybe number 200 on the list is, is seeing the, the devil rays back when they were the devil rays at tampa bay in an empty and just outdated uh stale type vibe there in, in st pete all right I, lo- I love that answer because we were we just had the the stadium controversy with tropicana field with like the rings that hang above the stadium and i think it was might have been a Randy or Rosarena who hit the hit one of the rings, and two of the rings is a home run, and two of the rings is a ground rule double. So it really, <laughs> like it's just it's so weird to me. But I think I I that's a really good answer. I would have never expected Tropicana Field, but I do like that answer. Now that I mean, 
I could give you college venues, but they'd be like mid-major places, and that's not fair, you know, exactly, to compare exactly, exactly. going out to a UC Santa Cruz and their facilities compared to, you know, a Pac-12, Big 12, ACC yeah. school. So hopefully that suffices. No, no, of course it does. Now that now that I got you on the on baseball, though, I need the I need the best major league ballpark then. Ooh, that's great. So you always have to separate them into categories, as you know, Jackson, because uh, that there's different eras of stadiums, and it's unfair to compare the charming old school. Where sometimes the signs aren't the best. You're sitting behind a pole; it's obstructed view and all that. But it's so unique because, like, Wrigley Field is literally in a neighborhood, and there's ivy on the walls, and and, and the bars around there are amazing hangouts, and it's it's so neat. Uh, and and then you have the modern day stadiums like AT and T Park or whatever it's called now at San Francisco, where it's a beautiful ballpark, and you got people canoeing over the right field fence out in the water, catching those Barry Bonds home run balls back in the day. Uh, but my favorite one, and I've got a great story behind it, is Camden Yards. And Camden Yards is is where the Orioles play in Baltimore, and it's downtown. I love downtown parks. I, for one, would be a fan of the Royals moving downtown. I know that's somewhat of a controversial topic, but I think downtown ballparks with the skyline and the background is what makes it great. But Camden Yards has this really special tradition beyond the right field and center field fence. If you look out there, you see the warehouse that's uh, is kind of a signature look beyond right field. And there's a, a kid they'll pay about $7 an hour to to lean up against the wall on the on the fence out there beyond the outfield fence, like in the concourse area. And whenever a home run ball goes over the bleachers and lands on this cobblestone street, I think it's like Boob Powell Way or something like that, he runs to the spot where the ball landed and he's holding a can of neon orange spray paint and sh- sh- he marks an X on the spot. And the next day they go in with a bronze plate shaped like a baseball. And it'll say Ken Griffey Jr., 1997, 454 feet. And to the right of it, it might say 152 feet. And you go out there and you walk along this, this cobblestone street and, and like every five feet littered in, in that cobblestone area are these bronze plates of home run balls. And then as a Ken Griffey Jr. era guy, Across the street, on the warehouse, 12 feet tall up the side of the wall, cut into the limestone brick like we have on our KU campus, is a bronze plate where Griffey hit it over the bleachers, over the street, out of the stadium, off the warehouse across the street. And that, to me, is something you won't find at any other park. That's why Camden Yards is my favorite. I love the I love how you mentioned Ken Griffey, Griffey Jr. because whenever I talk about Ken Griffey Jr., everyone's like like that's just so outdated. But like I keep on, I'm a Milwa- I'm a Milwaukee sports fan, so I grew up on Brian oh, yeah. Jennings and Ryan Braun. Like those are like those were my childhood heroes. But I yeah. loved, I loved watching Ken Griffey Jr. like the old highlights, like the way he swung the bat, like one of my all time favorites for sure. So sweet, sweetest swing ever. Before his injuries, before he moved to Cincinnati, I mean, he was the best five-tool talent of his generation. And as far as we know, knock on wood, I don't want my hero's reputation to ever come down, but in a steroid era where everybody else was cheating, he was an all-natural, man, and he was the sweetest swinger of them all. Uh, he, I, that's probably, like you said, best baseball swing probably of all time. And speaking, um, while we're on this topic of baseball, because I know you call baseball, football, and basketball primarily, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Which is your? You don't have to give me a power ranking, but I just. Which is your favorite? Which is your favorite? Like every day, I get to go to the ballpark or the football field or the basketball arena, and I get to talk about this. Which is your? Which is your all time? 
You know, the thing I always say about my job that I love is just when you start to get burnt out on one season, football becomes basketball, basketball becomes baseball, and they're all so unique. Did you know, Jackson, that in an average three-hour baseball game, the ball is only moving around in motion for 12 minutes of those 180 minutes. That means you have 168 minutes of picture painting and storytelling. And that's a tremendous challenge. It's a fun change of pace on the heels of frenetically paced basketball where you're flying up and down the floor and it's hard to even get the color analyst two seconds to get a word in edgewise because it's such constant, fast-paced action, you know? And so uh, to me, the the fact that the three sports all – are so different and unique to call makes it fun to get to do all three. I think football will become rivaling with basketball is my favorite to call once we start to get good at it again. And I believe it will happen under Lance Leipold. Once you have a chance to truly win on any given Saturday and you start going to bowl games, football is a blast, but it's hard to have anything supersede basketball when honestly you could have a blow the roof off the field house three-pointer go on go down on any given shot you could have an electrifying high-flying 360 slam dunk on any given fast break it's constant action we probably cut 20 highlights a game on the highlight reel which obviously is not the case on the other two sports and then you factor in that half of our games are played in the aforementioned most hallowed ground in all of college basketball history that's tough to top man the So that's clearly number one. And the fact that, you know, we're competing for championships every year. There's a special adrenaline rush. And you'll start to feel this as you get deeper into your career and you get a chance to do more games. There's a special adrenaline rush. It almost makes you feel like you're one of the players when you're behind the mic and and you too are trying to perform. It's not as much pressure on us as there is Ochai with two seconds to go and two free throws to make and the whole world watching. But it's a performance art too as an announcer. And you want your vocal inflection, you want your vocal range to climb to meet the magnitude of the play on the floor. And you want to do that perfectly because that highlight might be played for the rest of time, right? right. And so, so – there's a special game day adrenaline that comes with being a college basketball announcer when you're competing for the highest of stakes at the, the D1 collegiate level. And so that makes anything else we do pale in comparison because that rush is pretty specific to going to Final Fours and hanging banners like Coach Self has done so well. All right. I have one final question. You've been, this, has been, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, one, sure. final, one final question. I know we were talking, and you were. I've I've talked a lot with um with Andrew Lind. You you uh, you know him. Um, he said that ask him what advice he would give, not just me, but everybody else who's trying to not not necessarily get their foot in the door, but like people who are like me, like an entry level college student who's trying to get into the world of broadcasting. What's your number? Like, what's your number one advice that you like to give out? Well, I'm stealing this from a guy named Ryan Rosillo who used to do the afternoon drive. Show. radio and now has his own podcast and other stuff but he said never say no always say yes to every opportunity when you're trying to work your way up through the ranks even if it's a non-glamorous graveyard shift position that's not on air and you're you know just running the board for somebody or you're screwing in light bulbs sweeping the floor whatever if you're trying to climb the ladder within a certain station department whatever always be available always do what's expected, but then a little bit more. Take initiative. 
you know, be a self-starter that gives them even more than what they asked for, but say yes and be available to everything. Because as Ryan said, the first time you say no, they're going to ask somebody else. And then who do you think they're going to ask first the next time an opportunity comes along? person that said yes. And so when I was your age, Jackson, I didn't, didn't get to go to a lot of Friday and Saturday night parties. I was calling games Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I was looking for three different radio stations in Topeka, Lawrence, and Kansas City. I regret some of it, and I would tell kids now, make sure you stop and smell the roses a little bit too. But uh, understand that the early bird gets the worm. The assertive one does too. The guy that, the guy or gal that, that strives to always be available, always say yes, no task is too small, uh, go out there and do it with a smile on your face and then recognize that every time you take the mic or every time you shake a hand and have a conversation, you're making a first impression on someone and you never know how that person could help you out in terms of your networking down the line. And so in the same way that Jordan brought it strong every time he took the floor at Chicago Arena because uh, somebody might best, you need to understand that when you step up to the mic, uh, or you, you know, represent KJHK, KUJH, whatever, each time you're out there, that uh, somebody could be watching you for the first time that might have a chance to help you later. So bring that A-game every time. Be grateful for what you have. Don't feel like you're, you're too big for your britches at the current role you're at because, as other people have taught me, the big time is a state of mind. It's not an address or a certain place. It's a state of mind. It's where you're at if you truly embrace being there and, and treat every gig like it's Super Bowl Sunday because eventually if you do, You'll start calling bigger and bigger games to wider and broader audiences. That's the best advice I can give. All right, Brian. Thank you very, very much for coming on. We look forward to hearing your call of the homecoming football game this Saturday against Texas Tech. Everybody be sure to tune in for that. This has been Wave the Wheat, and for Jackson Reed, we will see you next time.